Craft Beer Radio, episode 157, on March 15th, 2010. Craft Beer Radio. Beer may not be good for you, but CBR and some exercise have been proven to lower your cholesterol. Very important and good point there. Maybe more at the end, but... yeah. I like it. You can listen to CBR while you're exercising. It's true. It's true. Don't forget the exercise part. Welcome to Craft Beer Radio. This is Poppy Show 157. We haven't really decided what we're going to title it. We never do. We Usually always do that we, later. Yeah, we, it's kind of like how Twit does it, right? Where right. We, we take we take something notable from how we interact on the show and then name the title that. Last week it was jokes about a certain part of the anatomy. Yes. Okay, so yeah, these are some beers that I wanted to get out of the fridge before the hops fade on them. And uh, we've got several beers here that were sent in by different people. Let's start with the Alesmith Anvil, because this is an extra special bitter. Oh, cool. So not IPAs like the other ones. Oh, we were supposed to use the beer clip. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to throw this on the floor so I don't forget next time. I threw the church clip. We'll talk about the beer clip a little bit later. Yeah, I threw the church key on the floor so I wouldn't be uh, tempted to use it anymore. All right, so this beer, like we said, is from Alesmith. This is uh, Alesmith. It's in San Diego, California. It's uh, ESB, like Jeff said, extra special bitter. Original gravity, 1.056, 5.5% alcohol by volume. It's won multiple awards, including silver and gold World Beer Championships. First choice in this category, the San Diego Real Ale Festival. Uh, imported English hops. Pours a... Sort of nice, dark, uh, caramely cola color. Yeah, clear. You can definitely see through it, but it's pretty dark and a ginormous head on the thing. Very This was large. sent from a listener, Mike, in San Diego. Thank you, Mike. Again. Yes, he is a good contributor of yes. beers to the show. He is uh, one of the CBR all-stars. Mmm, smells nice. I love a good ESP. Yeah, there's so much head on it, I'm having a hard time getting a great, great dive into the aroma on this one. It's toffee, caramel flavors, or aromas, I should say. Slight hint of kind of a spicy hoppiness, which would make sense if they're English hops, because they tend to be a little bit more spicier. Yeah, so it says right here on the label, this is traditional style ESB. So we, we won't expect tons of hoppy. You know, uh, these were bitters that were lighter, drier, and a bit more hoppy than than other beers of the style. Um American ESBs tend to be tend to be hoppy, and Alesmith is a West Coast brewery, so uh, West Coast beers tend to be hoppy, right? But so, but they say traditional English. Maybe I under or overestimated the hoppiness on the beer. So let's see when we get into it. All right, it It does just smell really nice. I just love that aroma. Tons of carbonation on this thing. Like wow, just exploded in my mouth. You're not kidding. It really it it almost kind of burns the tongue a bit. Mm I'm going to give it a big swirl and try to work some car CO2 out of it. I would there be that much carbonation. That's a lot. I'm trying to remember when Mike would have sent this. It, it might be a little on the older side. I thought I kept it in the fridge the entire time, so I was hoping it'd be okay. But He says more time, it can do more stuff, right? So Yeah, yeah. It probably had a... It's probably a six-month-old beer. It's not a terribly long amount of time. Especially in the refrigerator. It shouldn't be yeah. too bad. All right, so we've been swirling it around. We are drinking in tulip glasses, by the way. Still pretty heavy on the carbonation. It's really hard to to, to pick up uh, the notes either that or it's a lot more bitter than I would have expected for a traditional yeah, ESB. I, I think something got into this. I think wild yeast got into this and fermented it or something like that. 
right? Because it doesn't it doesn't have a full body. It's very thin, and it explains for the, all the carbonation. Mm-hmm. So either a wild yeast or some bread or something got in there. It doesn't have the kind of leathery character of a bread, so mm-hmm. could have been some wild yeast or something. But this is probably not exactly what they're going for. Mm-hmm. Which you know can happen. We've done enough shows where it's happened enough times that we're experienced with this sort of thing. Especially with the aroma, I'm, I'm sure there's a good beer there. There was a good beer, probably, yeah. but this is, you just can't be judged. It's, yeah. it's so thin, you can tell something got in there and just took out all the body and made a ridiculous amount of CO2 on it. So we'll dump it and go ahead. So thank you, Mike, even there. Yeah, sorry, sorry, Mike, if it's my fault that I ruined the beer. But we sh- I want to point out, before we get rid of that, that Alesmith ESB was their first beer produced, and it's still their flagship. So... I doubt, I really doubt that's the, that's the beer, uh, you know, that's the condition the beer is always in. Okay, so let's stay in San Diego. What do you say? Let's do a Carl Strauss. I love San Diego. It's a great city. To the nines. To the and, nines. And here we go. So let's talk about the beer clip while we're here. Good idea. So we got the beer clip here. Um, guy, one of the contactors, and review his product. And uh, it's the beerclip.com. So it's a little money clip. Has a uh, plastic cart like a laminated cart not laminated what's that called a sticker like a you know it's one of those puffy sticker yeah thingy. puffy sticker thing that has little <laughs> beer cartoons on it like scientific there like old timey nineteen twenties you know big round guys with you know clowny sort of r- r- puffy yeah. red cheek faces yeah and barrels and barrels and, and so it's a money clip it. and then in the the fold of the clip there is a notch cut out made to open beer bottles. So we're going to give it a try here. Actually, give me the one that has the business cards in it. Because that has actually more substantiality to it. Let's give it a try. Hey, it opened the bottle. It works. So if you... Neither Greg or I are a money clip type of guy. So we don't know how how it works up as a money clip. It's really stiff. and It was hard for me to get business cards stuck in it, let alone dollar bills. Um, but they but may start might, out that way, and it makes sense. Yeah, you might be able to it loosen it sense. up. If you know, Maybe you have to loosen up all money clips. I don't know. Beerclip.com, if you want to take a look at these guys. it's. Uh, I think the idea is pretty cool. Um, not being a money clip guy, I don't know, you know how much I would use one of these. It's a workable product. I don't have a problem yeah. you know, letting people know about that one. I have... Uh, you know, I have a keychain full of keys, and, and I have a bottle opener on that, as a lot of people do. So mm-hmm. this is just another way to stick a bottle opener in your life. And it's better than do- using your teeth for it. You ever see the bottle opener flip-flops? <laughs> no. Um, uh, one of my, my neighbor has a pair. It's on the it's in the arch of the flip-flop. So you take your flip-flop off, and you open your beer with your flip-flop. There's <laughs> something. You know, I was going to say that's not going to sell well in the Islamic world, but they don't drink alcohol anyway. But... <laughs> You know, you don't use your feet to open up products. Well, you, you take it off. Oh, right. yeah, you, you take shoot. it off, but think about, you know, you're at the beach, you know, you just want to open a beer. Huh? Where's your bottle opener? On your flip-flop. I've seen a, I've seen him try to open a beer with it on his foot. That makes a mess. You take it off first. It's only a flip-flop, right? So Right. But we're <laughs> yeah, not. I we're can not. see that being a problem. Maybe you're, you know, even if you're sitting down, it'd be mm-hmm. hard. Unless you're a contortionist. Okay, so this is Two the Nines from Carl Strauss Brewing Company. Ooh, that's a nice smelling beer. And uh, this is for uh, the 2009 Holiday Ale. It's 9.9% alcohol by volume. It has uh, <laughs> 9 SRM and 9... 99 IBUs. Yes, and 9 hop varieties. 
I mean, it's it's got what I think is around a nine on the SRM scales, what I remember, but. Well, the 9.9% ABV, you know, like, what if it came in a little higher low? Did they actually yeah. adjust it, or did they just say close enough? But anyway, smell the beer. Big candy-type hop of flavor. Oh, it smells so good. It, I mean, it's just, it, it's a really, really well-designed bouquet, because it's got enough of the spicy and enough of the floral and just a little bit of the, you know, high alpha to give it all the little bits of complexity at the same time, giving you a whole nice sweetness to it. Really well done, just in terms of the smell. Air freshener beer for sure. By that we mean we'd like to put mm-hmm. it in an air freshener and stick it in our car, right? Oh yeah, I like this kind of IPA. Big, sweet. Is it? Is it man candy, Greg? It might be man candy. Mm-hmm. It's real close. It is. That is. That's man candy. There's no question about it. Yeah. And just nailed what, it. What we mean by man candy. And it's our it's our bittersweet. We love to use it because people hate its uh, term. <laughs> I think we would have stopped using it if we didn't have so many complaints. Yeah, I think because we got so many complaints, you decided okay, we're going to keep using it. So you know, if you think of man candy the wrong way, you think it's you know man, candy that comes from a man. That's not what we're talking about. <laughs> we're, we're talking about the kind of candy men like to eat, and this is hoppy. It has a sweet. It's almost like caramelized oranges and and caramelized grapefruit Mm -hmm. like flavors like that you just get this wonderful like do a simple syrup and cook it way out and make it really almost you know not quite toffee but like medium caramel dark caramel and then take some kind of orange in there and put it in there and glaze it with the orange and then dehydrate the orange so it's like dried fruit and that's that's man candy i think a good way to express it is you know a a grilled fruit would do it pretty mm. well. You know, you put oranges on a grill, you put pineapple okay. on a yeah, grill. Yeah, I mean, most people will have, or can relate to grilled pineapple, right? Right. And yeah, because it caramelizes some of the sugars, it dehydrates the fruit a little bit, so it's a little bit more rich and sweet. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's just, you know, really nice, and it's got a lot of depth to it, too. It just, mm-hmm. it just feels like it's got full mouthfeel, it's got everything going for it. It's a little bit bitter at the end. Uh, a little bit more bitter than most man candy beers. Well, if it was ninety eight IBUs, it wouldn't be named to the nines, right? So they, they just a, they were had to be rigid with their specification. But how come it's in a twenty two ounce bottle, not a ninety nine ounce bottle? Mm. That's my <laughs> question for them. Uh, this beer was sent to us by Carl Strauss. They like to send us uh, some of their seasons and whatnot. We appreciate it, and I don't think that's coloring our review here. Greg liked it before he even knew that, so I had no idea. Yeah. Jeff's the one who keeps tabs where this beer comes from. Yeah. So a um, couple beer news stories that we can get through real quick. Yeah. Did you hear about the uh, the President Obama gold medal hockey beer bet? Now, I uh, I did not hear about that, but... Okay, so he bet the Prime Minister of Canada about the outcome of the old gold medal game. I, I love... And I actually really enjoy these little, you know, bets that the mayors of each city make or whatever. Right. Um, now these are heads of state that are doing heads the of same state, stupid thing. In, ge- in general, they're all, they're all reciprocated, mm-hmm. right? I mean, you know, everything is offered is given no matter who wins, but then there's still like a cap attached. Like one, like one of the mayors has to wear a cap of the other team for, the, for yeah. one day or something. Yeah. Like so that. this bet, I don't know. To me, the bet seemed backwards because if Obama or if the United States won, the Canadian prime minister was going to buy Obama a case of Yingling. An American beer. If, now, if you lost, if you won, wouldn't you want the other country's best beer? 
wouldn't you want you know you know well, I, I don't know i mean brewery to seal or Unibrew <laughs> or something well, if if i won sure i don't know whether obama is necessarily right. uh a beer guy right. and then if when the canadians won as they did obama had to buy the prime minister a case of molson or molson golden or something uh, or labat i don't remember what it was it was a molson i think Mostly um, Canadian. Right. So um turns out that Obama or the ambassador, someone wasn't clear on what the bet was supposed to be. So Obama sent him a case of both beers. So the Canadian Prime Minister gets Yingling too. All this reckless government spending. Oh, I know. <laughs> but but so Dick Yingling, not to be a guy to, to not get in on the promotion since they're talking about his beer. Uh-huh. Uh he was sending Obama some beer. Because, you know, he sent, it's been 75 years since he sent beer to the White House. He sent a truckload of beer, or a wagon load of beer, I'm not sure which it was, to Roosevelt when Prohibition was repealed. So he's sending Obama some beer, too. That's nice. Now, wondering why they did Yingling, well, because Yingling is America's oldest brewery. Right. I guess America's oldest incorporated brewery, you could say. Because people were brewing beer before that. Mm-hmm. I don't know if Molson is Canadian's old Canadian's. I don't know if Molson is Canada's oldest brewery. It's an interesting question. But yeah, I mean, wouldn't it be awesome if he sent him, like, you know, here's some Lost Abbey. You know? <laughs> <laughs> right, right. You know, Great Lakes. Mm-hmm. Well, those are Great Lakes brewing in, in brewery in Canada, too. So they oh. created Great Lakes. But our Great Lakes is better than their Great Lakes. That's a harsh accusation to make, Jeff. They're just a lager brewery. Just like oh. macro, regional, not craft. So, anyway... Uh, sales of craft beer hit 6.9 billion last year, climbing 10.3 percent over the previous year, according to a new annual report by the Brewers Association. That's a very interesting number. Now there is a caveat to this number. There is. There is. Enlighten me. They're still including a brewery that will oh, certainly at no. some point be knocked off of this list. Oh no! That brewery is, of course, Samuel Adams. Once Sam Adams reaches a certain uh, point in production, I believe it's something like 2 million barrels, they will drop off of the official craft beer list, and their numbers will not be considered part of craft beer, and their numbers are a huge part of this overall number. Like, yeah, like 25%? Right. Something like that? So their continued expansion uh, is making, is helping this number. Now, Now, that's not to say the craft beer isn't doing, isn't expanding also, but... There is a caveat to these numbers, I think. So the story that I just happened to click on for this was out of Ohio, and they had a couple interesting things here. Great Lakes Brewing Company, which Greg mentioned just a few seconds ago, saw a 20% growth last year. That's a lot. Thirsty Dog said they also experienced phenomenal growth, but they didn't specify us with an exact number. Now, U.S. beer sales overall declined 2.2%, which is you know a lot considering how much mm-hmm. U.S. beer is out there. Well, you know, that's that's kind of the story that we saw coming. It was like it's been trending that way where beer is flat or beer is down, but craft beer is still growing double digits. And mm-hmm. uh, it just means that everyone is trading up or they're either trading up from beer or down from wine, you know, something like that. Yeah, I think that I think that there, there's examples of both. I think you could say that beer has penetrated the national consciousness finally. I really do think that there is much more awareness of craft beer than there ever was before. And there are not so many people who are going to poo-poo beer as they would have before. There's a new beer drinker of the year. Another one. Yes, Bill Howell from God, they make Alaska. one every year, it seems like. 
He's a college administrator, retired Navy officer, and home brewer and beer educator. Beer drinker of the year. We've uh, we've covered this before. We had Tom Schmidlin. Uh, we had him call. Did we call in with with him? Or I think we did an interview with him. Yeah, we did. Yeah, we interviewed Tom, and Tom. I've I've met him a couple times in person. He's a good friend of the show now. He's the he's our favorite beer drinker. Absolutely, of the year. he's Craft Beer Radio's beer drinker of of the of the show. I guess. So anyway, you can uh, go find stories about him if you want. Uh, we'll see if we can get in touch with him. See if he wants to talk. I'm little. I'm really slacking on interviews though. So so don't hold me to what I just said. I'm I'm lying. I'm a horrible liar. We'll see if we can find him. And uh, we well, well, let's go on to the, let's finish our talking about the beer, the nines, because mm-hmm. we've been <laughs> kind of slacking off at this one. Carl Strauss's. Well, we said man candy. What else is there to say? Well, there's a lot more to say. Let's mm. figure it out. Candied grilled fruit is kind of another way to say man candy, I guess you could mm-hmm. say. Um, more of a citrus bent to it, I would say, sort of uh, orange and, and yeah, a little bit of pineapple. There is some pineapple in there, the more I've tasted it. I was going to say earlier when you mentioned pineapple that that would help people relate to the flavors, but it's not in this beer, but it is in this beer. I think especially as it warmed up a little mm-hmm. bit, it, yeah. it, some of that came out. And as we've drank it, a little bit of the bitter edge has gone down just mm-hmm. because we're getting kind of used to it. 99 IBUs is a little bit too high to be fully registered on the human palate because we top out around 80 or so, right? It's close. It's in the ni- mid to high 90s. It, Everyone's different. There. Yeah. Yeah, this is great. Good malty backbone to it. Lots of caramel in there. It has that has that flavor. I mean, if I was drinking this blindfold and had to guess the brewery, I'd say Three Floyds, wouldn't you? I might. I really might because Three Floyds is kind of the... I guess archetypal man candy. They have a flavor. They yeah. have a flavor, and and this is drawing off of that. And I'm not taking away from Carl Strauss. I'm saying they nailed it because Three Floyds always nails that flavor, and it's wonderful. And Carl Strauss has it now too. It's one, and it's not our only favorite. I mean, it's not necessarily the, the most favorite beer flavor. It's just mm-hmm. such a. It was such an expressive flavor that when it mm-hmm. first came out, it, it stuck. So I went on a. Uh, I mean, you'll notice it's not a Wow beer. At the same time as a man candy beer, right, right, just different different levels of of awesome. Mm-hmm. I went on a beer trip last couple of days. It was a four day nine brewery whirlwind tour of central Pen- of of the mid latitudes of Pennsylvania. Let me say, okay. So uh, had the week off between jobs. Started a new job, everybody. If you haven't been following me on Twitter, or I didn't didn't mention it on the main show last week. Um, you can tune in the pre and post shows, and you'll hear hear more about it. I'm sure. I was off last week. Um, wasn't sure what I was going to do. Heather wanted to get out. I wanted to just stay around and like get the house in shape. Uh-huh. And then my buddy, who was the best man in my wedding, who is stationed in Iraq right now, got some leave. And he is in Allentown, Pennsylvania right now. So we decided to roll a trip in with him. And then I'm like starting to look at breweries and like figuring out my plot. Because every time I drive across the state, i got to stop at some breweries. Right. You know, just in my DNA. And I've done the, the low highway, the southern highway, the Pennsylvania Turnpike. I've done the northern highway, Interstate 80. And I wanted to do kind of in between, so I did all back roads. Uh, first stop was at the Red Star Brewery and Grill in Greensburg. They're closing at the end of the month. That's horrible when I heard that. So I wanted to that stop That was the, in. the very first beer fest I ever went to was the Red Star yep. Beer Fest. I, I wanted to stop in and talk to Jeff Guidos and, and you know, and have, have his beers because he's up there. Aside from like North Country Brewing and and now the Rivertown Poorhouse, and they're both much newer, he was my favorite brew pub in western Pennsylvania. Uh-huh. 
And, you know, I, I, it's hard for me to pick which of those three are best. They all have different highlights and lowlights, right? I mean, not very many lowlights, but they all have different strengths. Well, the other ones have gotten better, too. I mean, Church has yeah. you know, really and, gotten Yeah, a Church lot has gotten better, too. Yeah, so maybe that's a bit of a date, dated statement. Yeah, when I heard they were closing, I'm like, damn, I got to get out to Greensboro. It's only an hour away. I'd be, I'm a bad person. I'm a bad beer podcaster if I don't make it out there. So I rolled it out there. I, I actually ran into Jeff, got to interview him. He's only brewing two more times before the end of end of history at the uh, Red Star. And uh, he has some old barley wines on tap. Really good old barley wines on tap. Good he, thing Heather was there to drive. Oh, yeah. She can't drink alcohol right now. Because yeah, so. she's preggers, yep. And uh, he had his Nitro APA on, which is a flagship there, which is one of the best Nitro beers you'll find. I mean, because I always find Nitro washes out a lot of flavor on beer. So you I agree. It has to be a special beer to carry the Nitro. And this one carried it wonderfully. Interview Jeff. We're going to put up an interview with uh, Jeff from the Red Star on Craft Beer Radio, so stay tuned for that. Definitely be after the show. From there, we headed to Altoona, Pennsylvania to go to Marzoni's Brick Oven and Brewery and talked with Bill there and um, tried his beers. Good talk. Marzoni's had a restaurant out here in Gibsonia, you might remember. It was in the Hossa Steakhouse. It was only open for about a year. Really? And it closed. It was a, more of a tap house, right? Because they made the beers in Altoona and brought them out here. Well, the two times I ate there, the beers were horribly mishandled. They had all kinds of off flavors in them. They just weren't very good. I've had a few Marzoni beers other than that, but, but not very much. So I didn't have a super high opinion of Marzoni's. But drinking the beers fresh at the pub, at the brewery, they were all very tasty. He actually gave me a bottle of iced barley wine. Iced barley wine. Iced barley, like an ice ice bock, but iced barley wine. <laughs> how, he <laughs> now you can't just calculate how what the alcohol is. You kind of have to get it analyzed because yeah. because some of the alcohol freezes out too. It's it's not a pure. But he thinks it might be um, well over twenty percent. Yeah, I was going to say somewhere in the twenties. Yeah, it's well over twenty percent. So I can't wait to try that one. It'll be a special occasion to try that one out. Uh, some of their beers that I really liked, they had a, um, I think it was a porter. It was either a porter or, or a lighter stout, but it had a really complex flavor too. I like that one a lot. And then for that day, we, we drove on out to Otto's in State College, Pennsylvania and had a hotel two doors down from Otto's. Nice. <laughs> yes. So we went to dinner at Otto's and, and had a, be- had a couple beers and, uh, then we drank the- a lot of water before you woke up the next day. I didn't. I oh. Like, yeah. It wasn't too bad. Actually, the next day was worse. Uh, but the next morning, right by Otto's is a Wegmans grocery store. One of the ones that sells craft beer. Sells beer at the grocery store. Mm-hmm. You know, much like the Giant Eagles do out here. Greg, you wouldn't believe the craft and Pennsylvania craft selection this place has. Really? You would think you were at Three Sons. Almost. I mean, almost, I mean, maybe the selection's not quite as big as Three Sons, but the the quality of what they had was wonderful i could i would have never expected a grocery store or a grocery store in pennsylvania to carry such they had a whole shelf a whole 10 to 12 foot long shelf of pa craft beer half the cooler space was pa craft beer pennsylvania craft beer well that's great and then the other half was top end stuff like founders and i'm drawing a blank because i wanted to spout off two pennsylvania breweries but you know the really good stuff prices were pretty decent too the Interesting, because they still have to pay all that Pennsylvania tax stuff, right? Price, but yeah, but the prices are definitely better than Giant Eagle. I was looking at some of the same beers, um, like the big bottle of um, 
of uh, a Blue Moon Grand Cru, right? I just happened to see that one. I remember the price. It was a buck twenty cheaper at Wegmans than a Giant Eagle. Serious cash right there. Well, yeah. <laughs> it's it's almost it's over ten percent of the price. Yeah, but it's also halfway across the state. I'm not. I'm not saying you go there. I'm just saying <laughs> the price in general, jerk. And then we wasn't well, the price of Three Sons like you know the same. I mean, you know, you go in Jardine, you're going to pay a little bit more. For I, I haven't compared prices with Three Sons, which is a local six pack shop um, near us with Giant Eagle, so I don't know exactly the prices to compare. Yeah, I would think, you know, because Giant Eagle has more infrastructure costs, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, it's more labor costs. They have a little more bulk buying power, too. Yeah. So, anyway, uh, after Wegmans, we went back to Otto's to have some lunch before we left, and I and I got to, I cornered Charlie, the owner and brewer, and got to interview him. You cornered him. <laughs> so that's... Get over here. Pretty much, because he didn't email me back ahead of time. When I got there, he's like, oh, yeah, I got your email. I'm like, you want to talk? I was like, like you want to It's like, yeah, I kind of cornered him. So I was proud of myself for that one. Let's go back to talk about the beer. I'll talk about the rest of the trip later. Sounds good. Carl Strauss and I is what we have been drinking, and it was the perfect beer to go along with this conversation because it's a nice man candy beer that um, really was very good. So what should we go on to next? The uh, Apocalypse Cow? Mm-hmm. We shall. Do you want to use the beer clip on this one? We said we would use them for all of it, didn't we? Yes. Oh, you're you asking want me. To use it. Do I want to use it? Does Gregory M. Weiss want to use the beer clip? Gregory Michael Weiss will use the beer clip. Oh, okay. We'll use the beer clip. It's not quite as easy as a keychain key opener. No, because you got to get one of these little... Pull the cards away from the hinge a little bit. All right. From the the bend. There you go. I'm sure with practice it becomes a lot easier. Yeah. So I don't want to discourage anybody from... <laughs> I see. I was doing it the wrong way. Yeah, there you go. There we go. I was doing it in exactly the opposite direction, <laughs> which kind of made it difficult. I'm going to rinse my glass simply because there's so much flavor in the two to the nines that yeah. I don't want to... Con- and especially since it had that flavor that was kind of like Three Floyds, and this is Three Floyds. Don't want to confuse the two. So Apocalypse Cow, 11% alcohol volume, 100 IBUs. So they're trying to one-up to the nines a little bit, it sounds like. Double pale ale... Augmented with lactose milk sugar. Yeah, that's that's interesting. Have you ever had a double pale ale or whatever you want to call hoppy beer with lactose added? I don't think I have. I don't think I have, at least not you know willingly. Were <laughs> <laughs> you tied down and forced to swallow lactose pale well, I mean, ale? Who knows what got into some beer kettles at some point. But, right. yeah, so this is... Uh, I think I remarked that Apocalypse Cow was on the Tick show on the Tick. Um, it's probably it, it's probably related to no, it's probably related to Apocalypse Now, the the movie based on the. You don't think it has to do with the cow? The cow has to do with the did Apocalypse Cow now. have one eye? Well, they didn't ever show Apocalypse Cow. It oh. was just it was okay. talked about. Okay, forty foot tall, breathes fire from his teats. Okay, well, if it was a Cyclops Cow, then they're talking about the same one because this Apocalypse Cow. Is a cyclops, but like the 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 you know the label looks very much like the Apocalypse Now poster, so mm. that's probably where Maybe they got the idea. So not in terms of uh, the difference from the knives, not quite as complex a bouquet from the Three of Floyd. It's it's a little bit sharper uh, in terms of the uh, hoppiness. It's more citrus, just bare citrus instead of having like 
some extra floral mm-hmm. stuff to it and a little bit right. of a grassy to it. Uh, it's got... It's a little more bitter citrus, right? Like you're, you're getting into grapefruit or blood orange or something like right. that. Right. I think that's a good good way to put it. Underneath it, there, there's a sweetness. There's are, definitely. Are you smelling any kind of of, of spicy herbiness? Like I just keep getting uh, more than once. I keep getting this little hint of I don't know what. I'm thinking like I want to say cumin, but cumin's not right. It, no, it's, no. Not, Underneath it, there's a graham cracker. Mm. See, now it's fleeting. I'm not. I'm not smelling anymore. But there was twice I smelled some kind of savory spice in there. Hmm. I've smelled it enough. I'm gonna go in all whole hog on that. All right, all, all the way. Whole hog. Get it? Fox lives cow? Yep. Was that intentional? No. Well, a little bit, but it didn't make very much sense after I said it. I th- I thought it was good. Okay. I liked it. Well done. Well done, sir. That lactose adds something different, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. It's... It pulls off the, the, the general Three Floyd flavor, right? I mean, you can tell it's underneath there, mm-hmm. but then this added sweetness of the lactose kind of makes it... Um, almost. Uh, Are you getting a, a interplay with the lactose and the bitterness? A little bit. You, I'm trying in the, to in the late aftertaste. I'm, I'm getting a little bit of interplay out. where it's 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 this bitter thing, but it's a little sweeter than it should be, and it's like across the roof of my mouth where it tastes sweet. The lactose brings across, I think, with the hoppiness, kind of a cotton candy-ish flavor mm-hmm. that takes. Okay. It yeah, yeah. I think you're far. I see what you're saying. Uh, this beer was uh, brought to us by uh, Rick Sizemore when he came out to visit us way back in the summer. Thanks, Rick. And it's held up very well over Definitely. the time. It's this weird beer, you know, this uh, Imperial Milk Style. I just never worked it into a show. And milk Style is Imperial Milk yeah. Double IPA. It's <laughs> <laughs> so so that's why I did this show with the ESB and the Two of the Nines and the Apocalypse Cow. And we're going to be doing uh, a Trogue Scratch, a Triple IPA next. I want to get these drank before they were ridiculously old. Only the Ailsmith has suffered so far. I mean, I, I give him credit for trying something different and trying something new with it. Does it fully work? It works for a bottle. I don't know whether it works as a, you know. I think it works great. I mean, when I say it works great, I don't mean it's it's wow or man, or man candy, right? I mean, the, the two of the nines from Carl Strauss was a special beer. This is a good beer. I, I can get into this beer and drink, I mean, 11%, I can't drink a lot of it. Right. I can share this beer with a lot of people, and we'll all enjoy it, I think. Um, try not to be too harsh on it because the Carl Strauss was so good. No, I, I hear what you're saying, and, you know, of course, Three Floyds is, is one of our, we have all-star listeners, we also have, I guess, all-star breweries in terms of how we consider them, and Three Floyds Well, is up there. we gave Carl Strauss a serious compliment when he said it tasted like a Three Floyds beer, right? If we were blindfolded. Yeah, so I mean that kind of says it. Would, now, would you say this beer tastes like a Three Floyds beer if you're blindfolded? I probably wouldn't. It has, it has underneath it has, some some. So there. it doesn't have the primary flavor that I think Three Floyds, but there is a secondary flavor that you get in some Three Floyds beers that are in this one. So this is a this is the uh, second string. So of, I mean, of Three Floyds notable flavors, whatever yeast they've got, they're mm-hmm. using you know that in this one. So. And it's a good yeast. Mm-hmm. The this is it's just this is just a more bitter, more earthy beer than, than the last one. But it's that extra sweetness in the lactose is, is kind of it's just it, it's it's sending confusing signals to me. I don't know how better to put it. It's is your taste bud short circuiting, Greg. A little bit. It's like 
I'm kind of it's crossing wires for some reason. It's not like it's making it taste bad. Mm-hmm. It's just it, it keeps accentuating the difference so much. I keep noticing it as opposed to really enjoying it. I just it just brings it out and keep noticing that there's a sweetness sort of apart from this hoppiness and they're kind of on top of each other and they're just it's like they're two different beers combined as opposed to one whole beer. You know what? It might make me want to try to brew an IPA with lactose. I think it, it has some interesting qualities to it you don't normally get, and I think it's intriguing enough that I might want to try to brew one someday. Well, you know, it's your it's your thirsty dog brewery. You do what you want with it. Scurvy dog. Scurvy dog. Thirsty dog is that actual? It's a real brewery. brewery. Yes, in Ohio. <laughs> Speaking of real breweries, we have a little bit more news. Shafley ramps up production. St. Louis Brewery Incorporated, which is Shafley, has tentative agreements for brewing sites in Stevens Point, Wisconsin, and Latrobe, Pennsylvania. Uh. That's that's the city beverage uh, place that you know where they are making Iron City now. Co-founder Dan Copeman told the Post Dispatch that the brewer will begin making lager-style beers in Wisconsin as early as summer, in an effort to keep up with booming craft beer sales. I wonder if them making beers in Pennsylvania means that Shafley might be coming to Pennsylvania. Well, it seems like the obvious, uh, right choice. Your distribution so channels, right did, there. Did you listen to the Sean O'Sullivan interviews that I did, right? Yes, but it's been a while. Okay, so they brew beers in Minnesota. Twenty First Amendment out of San Francisco makes beers mm-hmm. in Minnesota. When they first started doing this, they weren't distributing to Minnesota. And someone, you know, said, "Dude, he was at a bar in Minnesota. He's like, dude, why can't we get your beers here?" Light bulb went on, like, duh, it costs nothing to ship the beers. Right. Why aren't we selling our beers in Minnesota? So who knows if Shafley's figured that one out yet, right? But if we can start getting Shafley here in PA, that'd be pretty sweet. The more beers we can get in PA, the better, considering that we live in PA. Here's one you'll like, Greg. The Straight Dope on Saver 3. How the yeah, breweries I was reading were selected. Because there are some big breweries uh, that got left out this year. So they basically set up, split up the United States into eight regions, and all of the breweries applied to participate. Eight were selected from a lottery for each region. So that's eight times eight, 64 breweries. Good call on the math there. I can still multiply my drunken stupor. <laughs> Not quite drunken stupor yet, but you know what I'm saying. Get those multiplication tables memorized. Anyway, back to the saver. So essentially there's a lottery, and you, there's no... You know, aside from I think the the main sponsors like you know Sam Adams. Well, that's it. If you if you get if you don't get picked in the lottery, you could always pay money to be at that center table and the, right. the circle table in the center there and and be a premier brewery. So right. there's so, there's a loophole if you want one. But that's why certain breweries like a Flying Dog didn't get in. Flying Dog's you? like the closest brewery, right? Except for the brew pubs in Washington D.C., they didn't make it. I suggested to Flying Dog, and we'll see if they do it. So, during the Great American Beer Fest, they had a side festival. You know, G-A-B-F, they called theirs F-B-A-G, backwards, right? So I suggested they better have a Rorvos, uh-huh. right? Saver spelled backwards, Rorvos festival in Frederick, or, or maybe at RFD, you know, which is a good beer bar down in D.C., like, after Saver, have uh-huh. a flying dog Rorvos party. We'll see if they do that. If they do, they owe me royalties, man. Yeah, I'm sure that all could be coming. With everything Flying Dog's given us, it is a nice tour of their brewery and uh, some beer, you know, 
I think a little mm-hmm. idea from you is not that bad. It's okay. Yeah, I'll let it slide. However, Flying Dog won't send us beer anymore. Really? Why not? They're shipping the beer from Baltimore instead, or from, from Maryland instead of from Colorado. And I guess they're paying attention to laws now. And oh, I see. Ship us beer. Mm. So that raging bitch that I got was actually given to me by the Flying Dog Wholesaler. Uh, Fuhrer Wholesale here in Pennsylvania. I see. Raging Bitch is their new uh, Belgian IPA. Which is good. Very good. Very good. But yeah, they wanted to send us beers, and, uh, and Stephanie there's like, oh, you're in Pennsylvania, huh? <laughs> I'm like, wait, wait. Flying Dog is actually listening to the rules? What's <laughs> up with that? But uh, yeah, you know, you guess you got to do it every once in a while. You got to pay attention to the man. Yeah, I mean, especially as you get bigger and bigger, and they are getting bigger and bigger. Good for them. Okay, so the next beer, the bonus beer, because bonus of, beer. we have extra sobriety because of a failed beer earlier. This is India from Weyerbacher. And it's called India not because why you might expect it to be called India. It's their, um, it's their, it's their version of, of the Scratch series or a session, one-off series, right? So they started with Alpha, Bravo, Charlie, Delta, Echo, Foxtrot. India. It, well, EF Golf um, Hotel India. Okay. <laughs> right? So, why? <laughs> it's, okay, it's okay, Greg. So, so I saw all this Clearly buzz. Of 0.0. I saw all this buzz on the internet about this Weyerbacher beer called Golf. And, <laughs> I did, and I didn't know it was the NATO alphabet, right? Right. And I'm like, why did they name a beer Golf? You know? I'm like, at all this raving, it's like, Golf? What? And I didn't get it until I was at Weyerbacher last week. And they had, on one of the labels, they had a beer called Hotel. And as soon as I saw Hotel, I'm like, oh, it's the NATO phonetic alphabet. And so EFGHI is what they're on right now. And this is India. And, of course, they had to make India an India pale ale. It wouldn't sure. make sense to make it anything else. So Juliet's going to be the next one. And I forget what Chris Wilson told me Juliet was going to be, but it will be on the interview. And speaking of uh, Weyerbacher, let's go back to my little whirlwind tour, right? So I left you guys off at, at Autos. We Whoa, had interviewed. Smell that, smell that first. No, before I, t- you... I tasted this the other day. I know oh. what it is. But give that a smell still. Oh, yeah. That's a pungent hop aroma right there. Yeah, it is. It's got this. Um... It uses a lot of CTZ hops, the, the, the Columbus Tomahawk Zeus family i'm trying to think back to the interview right because my mp3 player knows exactly what chris said <laughs> but wirebarker in was, ones and zeros wirebarker was awesome they, they gave me and my buddy dave who was home from iraq and i'm so happy he came because we got the royal treatment they were breaking up beers from the cellar we were tasting from barrels it, it was insane and i appreciate it dan you're a wonderful man but anyway, uh, he, Chris told me what was in this beer. There's some Amarillo in this beer. I'm not smelling it right now, but I could definitely smell it the other day. Yeah, there well, I can, yeah. I can smell it. Amarillo. I can smell it. Are you kidding the, me? The, the there's com- definitely some deep, high alpha hop in here. Yep, there's Amarillo. There's Columbus Tomahawk <laughs> Zeus type hops. There's something else that's big in there. I think there's a lot of Centennial in there, I believe, if I remember right. So it should have a slightly grassy note. I know Centennial gives you a little bit more of a grassy Centennial's note. Centennial's more of a, a grapefruit. Um, grassy would... No. See, I, I wouldn't call Centennial grassy. Maybe maybe a hint, but that's not what the predominant. What am I thinking, predominant. What am I thinking then? 
Because no, grassy is is uh, sorry, grapefruit is um, all cascade. cascade. See, I I would go orange for cascade, grapefruit no. for cas or for centennial. No, okay, not me. That not my taste buds. But like I said before in the show, we're all different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this is ale, craft brewed in small batches, one time only thing from Wirebacher. They have taken these these um, beta releases, let's call them, and made them. Real releases. They just bottled a Belgian Imperial Stout. Belgian What's Imperial that? Stout, Greg, called Tiny. <laughs> they they when we were there, it was awesome. We got there just in time. They were we watched them bottle the seven hundred fifty milliliter cork to cage bottles. And you know why those kind of bottles are so expensive? The labor on bottling, it takes five guys to do forty cases an hour. Wow. Where when they do these 12-ounce bottles, they can do like 200 in some cases line, a bottle. Yeah, yeah and it, it's such labor-intensive to fill the big bottles. Well, you know, this beer is is very, very interesting to me. What's the ABV on this, do you know? It's 7.2% ABV. And that surprises me because this beer does something. Let me have another taste just to get, just to make sure. Yeah, this beer does something... Very interesting that I've never seen done with this kind of hop, with this kind of aggressive assertive hop, and that's really lower and make the body more aqueous. And it's presenting, I think, a much better platform for the hop. It's giving it a, a chance to star without getting too bitter and too and laying on well, your tongue too much. This this one, if I remember right, tune into the upcoming Wirebacher interview to find out for sure. But if I remember right, Chris said he wanted this to be a platform for the hops. He didn't want a ton of malt in there to you know, take away. I think he just wanted this to be a hop juice. That is exactly what this is. And it really, it you know, it doesn't have that, it gives you these big, strong hop flavors without sticking on your tongue, without being this, also this, this big, you know, strong beer at the same time. I was surprised it was so strong at 7.2 because it felt light to me, almost like more around five or so. Weyerbacher's India Pale Ale. We should say it that way, right? India Pale Ale. Well, it's just, it's, just, it's just Weyerbacher India, right? Because okay. it's the, the ninth release of the Brewers' uh, small batch series. So I assume they're going to do 26. Oh, I forgot. That's the question I forgot to ask him, is what happens after they get through Zebra? Right. What comes after Zebra? Not thinking ahead far enough. No. Too much beer. Too much alcohol. Clogs your brain. In looking up the ABV for India, I also saw what Hotel was. Hotel was an Imperial Porter. I am really, really impressed with the way they made this a platform for the hops and the way Mm. they use this hop. This is the best I think I've ever seen any brewery use one of these high alpha hops. I really think so. In, in, especially in terms of highlighting it, right? You know, I mean, because you, you've seen like double Simcoe no, we, and other stuff like that. This is a big high alpha stuff, but it doesn't wear on you. It, it just it gives you that hot flavor without. Now, just just to be to give these other beers a fair chance, this is by far the freshest beer tonight, right? Okay, this was just brewed recently. It's for sale now. Some of these other beers are six months old. The this one's from December. The the Carl Strauss from was from December, the Apocalypse Cow was from over the summer. Right. The Scratch is which we're going to have next isn't. The, it's Scratch eighteen. They're on Scratch twenty three right now. 
so it's five scratches old. So it's a couple months old. I, I think it's a remarkable beer. It really is because, it, like I said, it, it's just I've never seen it that hop. These high off hops use so well. Mm-hmm. I've never had a beer that tried to do something like this. I think I mean, this is such a, a a unique way to display a hop. To, to really just give it a platform without really giving it much of a malt that you need, because you usually think you got to have malts to to balance these hops mm-hmm. out. You have to. This works without having a whole lot of malt backbone. There's malt in there. There's definitely but malt, it, but it definitely plays the the like the a harmony. tertiary role. Like I mean, yeah, you know, it plays the harmony, right? It doesn't play the the, the melody. It doesn't rule, steal the show at all. Yeah, India is is a hell of a beer. I am very impressed. So, did you talk about our? I assume you must have our experience with Weyerbacher. Yes, yes. Uh, what Greg is talking about is is Weyerbacher used to be pretty dodgy, and Greg and I have both called him. Now it's a little longer now. We can't call them the most improved brewery over the past. Well, I guess five years. Five years is a fair time frame. Well, right? that's when we started the show, right? Yeah, five years yeah. ago, roughly. So, I mean, because I've had. Uh, some blithering idiot, which is their barley wine that was ridiculously hot and gross. You know, just not smooth. Uh, old Heathen, to this day, that bottle of Old Heathen was the worst Imperial Stout I've ever had. Right, and we both said before I ever met Dan, before we're blowing smoke up the brewer's butt, you know that that um, they've really turned it around. And I told Dan this, right, and he's like, "We've been getting new equipment every year." They used to ferment in dairy tanks. And dairy tanks are really great at keeping milk cold. They're not good at controlling fermentation temperature. Mm. Things like that. Now they have beer brewing equipment. They have much better quality control. And they have Chris Wilson as their brewer. This is the one thing I was careful about when I was talking with Dan. And it's funny because he's probably listening to this because I'm going to tell him we talked about his beer, <laughs> right? That um, I was... Trying to tell him that his beers used to be not very good, but not to tell him that his babies are ugly because Dan Weirbach used to be the brewer, right? Right, he used to right. Brew. And then he brought in Chris Wilson to brew. And how do you tell a guy that owns a company that, hey, when you made beer, it wasn't very good. It wasn't as good. It wasn't very good. Um, but it, it's just a series. He said, when you make hundreds of small corrections, it... It really changes the brewery, it, and it, that's what they did. I guess that's true. I mean, it really does, you know, add up in significant ways. And when Weyerbacher continues to impress, it really. Greg, I tried dozen or more beers of Weyerbacher, and they were all. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's actually it's hard to impress now. You know, it's like you, it's gotten to the point where I expect really good stuff from Weyerbacher. You know, this was the first time that I've really gone back and tried Bluthering Idiot, and it's wonderful. <laughs> it's good. We're going to be doing it on a barling wine show very soon. So you, again, again, you had it super fresh, super super fresh. Yeah, but yeah. then a barley wine though should age well. It should age well, right? Right. Oh, after my visit at Weyerbacher, I'm thinking I'm going through my Rolodex of breweries. I'm like, what other breweries? Well, the main reason was they didn't. Weyerbacher didn't put out new beers. They fixed their old beers. Uh-huh. So now I'm like, what beers haven't I had in five years that I thought stunk, which might be better now? That's that's what went through my head, right? right. So now I'm ready to reevaluate anything mm-hmm. because Weyerbacher made me realize that brewers can keep the same name, the same label, 
but fix the beers. On on a slightly different topic, but also somewhat related, you tweeted recently about uh, a wheat beer, and you said it wasn't that bad. Talking about Bud Light wheat. Oh, okay. That wasn't recently. That was longer ago. Okay. So I was. Um, this was the night that I was out at um, Fuel and Fuddle with Shauna Sullivan, the brewer from Twenty First Amendment, and uh, we were talking with the guys from Fuhrer because Fuhrer is also the Budweiser wholesaler, and the bartender Bren- Brendan, I think his name is at Fuel and Fuddle, was overhearing the conversation. I'm like, you guys, I'm not going to buy for, pay for a bottle of of Bud White Bud Light wheat. But you need to, you know, send me some. And guys like, uh, but they're in the craft division, and they're kind of like a competitive side division, so they compete right. with their, you know, their mothership type thing. And the the guy at Fuel and Fuddle had bought a case or two of of it, and it wasn't moving, so he gave me a bottle. Which, thank you, Fuel and Fuddle, Oakland, Pennsylvania. Check it out. Um, I don't know where I'd put it in the grand scheme of things. But if you're thinking that it's going to be as bad as any light beer or any macro lager, no. Um, was it better than Michelob Bavarian wheat? No. No, of course not. Michelob Bavarian wheat's really good. Michelob Dunkelweizen's really good. Michelob Bavarian wheat can be good when you get a lucky batch. Um, but like golden wheat was not horrible. It was um, if I was at a football game. And the vendor came down the aisle and offered me macro beers and Bud Light Golden Wheat. I'd get the Bud Light Golden Wheat, and it would be a beer I could finish and enjoy and not think not have to choke down. There you go. There's our... I'm shocked that they put that much flavor into a beer they're marketing the way they are. Shocked. I think it's, I think it's great for the beer industry that flavor has taken over. You know? So, can I get back to my beer tour real quick? Before we go into the last beer? I said, well, yes, absolutely. All right, so this is going to be a long show. Wow. Um, we left you off. We probably in, about 10 minutes out of this, but still. Yeah. We left you off in State College, Pennsylvania. I was at Autos. I cornered uh, Charlie, the brewer and owner, for an interview. From there, we drove some crazy back roads in the middle of farm country. And we ended up in this tiny little town that was about this long, you know, like two blocks long. He's holding his, his hands apart, like... Three and a half feet. Yeah. <laughs> um, called Milheim. And right on the main intersection there, on the, the northwest corner, is Elk Creek so Cafe and Aleworks. And uh, this place, I I, uh, I walk in, and um, Tim, the brewer, let me in. He was in the back, and they were just running off their IPA. So he had to tend the kettle for about 20 minutes, make sure it didn't boil over, because they have this really tall, skinny kettle. I can just imagine boilovers are a nightmare in that thing. And we went out front and, and interviewed him and tasted all the beers. None of the beers were that exciting of styles. They were all brown ales and pale ales and wheat beers and porters. But, dude... I've never collected so much nuance out of these beers, I don't think. I mean, they were awesome. I mean, these boring, these bore, quote unquote, boring beer styles. I don't consider those boring beer styles at all. They can be boring beer styles. They're, they're, they're styles that many brew pubs just do. They can they, be easy. Yes, they can be easy. But Tim puts his heart into these styles. It can be relatively easy to release a. Mediocre, mediocre brown, brown ale. ale, mediocre porter. But this brown ale was velvety and deep and complex, and 
I was I was excited. I was like and it was just it was it was boring style after boring style of of deep complex beers. I'm like, holy wow, you you put your heart into every single style you make. And and I see why, you know, it, it's middle farm country. It I mean seriously, it's a two block town and then it's farmland. And uh um, well, what else they had to do? Well he's running a he's running a craft brewer place out of this. And the uh the kitchen. I was there earlier in the day before they had opened the restaurant, so I didn't get to eat there. And I'm sad that I didn't get to eat at Elk Creek because they 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 source all their meat locally. Almost all of their produce is local. And and the menu looked wonderful. They have an executive chef there who is uh he worked other places and now he came back home. You know, he's from BFE central pennsylvania and uh, he's making all this locally sourced food and uh yeah oh creek try to figure out what vf is vfe is everybody most people should know if not i'm sure urbandictionary.com will tell you what bfe means <laughs> um it, it's not a main show uh, description no <laughs> So yeah, Elk Creek, and then from there we went to Sealands Grove, Pennsylvania. And I've talked about Sealands Grove before. I, it's one of my favorite brew pubs ever. It, it's this tiny little place in this tiny little town, and they have a ridiculous amount of taps. They had twelve taps on, and the they don't have as good of food as Elk Creek because they do the local thing, but their kitchen is seriously eight feet by twelve feet, it's the size of a closet. Wow! So it's a lot of sandwiches. It's some cheese boards, uh-huh. and it's this tiny little kitchen, but they make some of the best craft beer. Uh, they were just ranked number 10 on Rate Beer's Best Brew Pubs, I think. Really? And uh, their IPA on cask well, blew my mind. It was insane. And I had this beer-washed cheese from a local cheesemaker that was washed in the Sealand's Grove barley wine. It was this tart, lactic little thing. Oh, it was awesome. <laughs> Interviewed us. I'm, I'm really... This sounds like an awesome trip. Yep. So we stayed at the Sealands Grove Inn, which is about three two blocks away from the Sealands Grove um, Brewery. So after Allison went to bed, I went back to the brewery. This is my second time there in 18 months, okay? I recognized six people at the bar, and they remembered me. There's no TVs at the bar. You you make friends. It's, it's the perfect pub because uh-huh. you talk with the local people. Sealands Grove Brewing Company is fantastic. So we spent the night there. Interviewed Heather McNabb, who is the uh, owner and former brewer in the morning. Uh, she worked at New Belgium. Her and, and I think Steve the Brewer both worked there, and they opened this place. Steve the Brewer is a good name. And then from there, we went to meet my friend in Allentown, Dave. I spent a couple hours in his place, and we did the Weyerbacher tour, right? And we walked in, and they were bottling tiny. You know, watching all the labor that has to do with Cajun cork, these 750 milliliter bottles, and it's it's impressive. We saw their different barrels. They have the Reserva, which is their um, American wild ale with raspberries. We got to try two different years. They're that. finally going back to raspberries again. Yeah, I mean, off the raspberry imperial style. Yeah, you're talking about. But yeah, they've been doing the Reserva since 2008. So we tasted the first year, the 2008. And it was good. It was um, a little tart, but the raspberries really stomped on top of the party. Uh-huh. And then the 2009, the raspberries were really well integrated into the, and it was much more tart. He didn't let us, you know, we didn't open up a barrel to taste of 2010, but we did get a barrel of Chris's um, American Wild Ale that he's doing in American Wine Barrels. And uh, things only a year old. It's not that tart yet, but 
Talk about rock star treatment, getting the taste, you know, samples That's out awesome. of a thief out of a wine barrel. That's awesome. And then they broke out the decadence. I bet your buddy it. had a really good time too. Oh, just. Dave likes craft beer, but he's not, you know, he's not world traveled. And uh, but still, you get a treatment like that. You I'm know so it. happy that for his trip out of hell, from you know, out of Iraq, right? That I got to take him to such a rock star uh, Weyerbacher. The next morning, Saturday morning, the day I came back, I, I went to Allentown Brewworks, part of the Bethlehem Allentown Brewers on the Green Brewworks Company, and talked with Bo and got to try a bunch of their beers. Good stuff. Uh, on the way home, we were driving through Harrisburg. It's about lunchtime. We stopped at Appalachian Brewing Company. And then Trogues. Stopped the Trogues for their tours. And I talked with John and Chris Trogner real quick, went on the tour, and uh, and came home. We were going to stop at the Rivertown Poorhouse but it was like 7 o'clock on Saturday night, and it was crowded, and we just wanted to get home. So we, we left and, and just went home. So nine breweries, four days, with a two-year-old kid. With a two-year-old kid and she a was, pregnant wife. She was fantastic on the trip. Allison really? is to the age where she'll scribble on the magnetic eraser board thing uh-huh. and occupy our time. And at the restaurants, she was surprisingly good, much better than she would have been a couple months ago. We got one more beer to drink, though. It's true. Let, let, let me read this on the side here, though, because this is interesting. This is I don't read marketing speak very often, but this is kind of like you know not so much marketing speak. Uh, this is about their scratch beer series. Years before Trogue's Brewery opened, we spent countless hours sampling beer, jotting down notes, and developing recipes from scratch in honor of our tenth anniversary and beyond. <laughs> they put in parentheses mm-hmm. and beyond. We give you Scratch Beer, a series of recipes that never made it into production, but became the building blocks for the award-winning beers we now produce. Cheers! And there isn't much that much marketing in there, you know, and Don't beyond. Don't the bottle so much, man. But I think that's a great little story. I think it's a great idea for a for a, a beer series. Yeah. The um, so we talked about the Weyerbacher uh, Alpha series, right? Alpha Bravo Charlie. Right. So theirs are named after the NATO alphabet. This the um, Weyerbacher is called the Scratch Beer, or the Trogues is called the Scratch Beer, and this is Scratch eighteen. Like I said, they're up to Scratch twenty three. When I was there two days ago, they weren't selling any Scratch, so I didn't get to buy any. <laughs> but I got two more Scratch. I got Scratch twenty two and Scratch twenty three in the fridge. No, they're not selling Scratch. You can't get your Scratch. Then they're- yeah, I know what you're saying, man. I know what you're saying. So this was a triple IPA, and my I- fingers are crossed that this thing is not too diminished from its prior well, I mean, glory. Hopefully, at seven point three percent, that's not much for a triple IPA, triple rye IPA. We should say. I mean, you know, you triple IPA, you're expecting somewhere around ten percent. For what classes? I mean, like I've seen, you know, you've seen DIPAs over eight or nine. So for triple IPA to be at seven point three percent alcohol by volume, that's okay, pretty surprising. So, so I just went to their website. They have a website that I have linked on my delicious of their scratch beer list. They're actually up to twenty seven right now. To give you a quick uh, background on what they've been releasing, twenty seven is a chocolate stout. Before that was mustache rye. No idea. Uh, Van de Horn was before that, which that's probably a playoff of the Troganator Doppelbach, right? Because the horn thing. So it's probably some kind of playoff of that. Um, they did a Kellerfest. They did a Belgian-style white. They did Naked Elf is Scratch 21. Scratch 20 was Apollo Imperial Ale, so there's probably an Apollo hop that they did. Um, Imperial Double Espresso Oatmeal Stout was Scratch 19. Which I wish I uh, could have tried. <laughs> and then um, double espresso triple rye IPA stout. with scratch 18. Double espresso oatmeal stout. Wow. 
But again, triple IPA at 7.3%. That is surprising to me. Let's give it a spell. I hope it's still hoppy. Well, it smells, uh, it has a deep, uh, mm-hmm. earthy hop aroma. So, um, on the tour, I was on the tour with John Trogner, the brewer, and he mentioned that these scratch beers, the label says they're all homebrew recipes, right? Not necessarily true. Um, scratch beers can be beers where they just want to test out a new hop. So, be this being a triple IPA, they might have been testing out some hop characteristics and whatnot. The Apollo Imperial, whatever the heck that was. Yeah. You know, I mean, testing out the They probably weren't when they were homebrewers brewing with Apollo hops. Right, right. As the show has gone on, our capacity for explaining more about the beers has dropped. This is... I'm just, just taking in more before I open my mouth, that's all. Kind of a rock of a beer, I guess you could say. It's very... It's kind of tight, in, in, mm-hmm. in what it's pulling in. There's not much looseness to it in terms of extra flavors and extra stuff, but but what it's trying to do, I think it does, which is express, you know, a, a, a high hoppiness and a deep maltiness, but it, it's very kind of compressed. The, the maltiness is very... How do I want to put this? It's very... Well, you mentioned rock. I'll, I'll call the maltiness very tight. It, it's a narrow band of flavor. Yeah. It is not too caramelly. It's not toffee. It's just good bready malt. But, it, I, you know, if you're, again, a lot of times we'll use visual descriptions to describe flavor. And this is a narrow band. Imagine that where it starts and stops pretty quickly and doesn't cover the a wide swath of, of the palate. The uh, bitterness is fairly bitter. It's not a particularly floral or citrusy hop. It's more of a, I don't know, would you say resiny hop, I guess? It it seems like more of a, a high alpha, a higher alpha hop. Right, but how, I mean, that only means people to know what high alpha hops normally taste like. What flavor characteristic are you getting on there? I mean, because flavor characteristics can be floral, citrusy, Resiny, earthy, well, again, spicy. I said earthy more. I mean, it's definitely more on the earthy right. scale. There's a little bit of sulfur Do in there. Do you resin, so or are you just going to stick with earthy? Because earthy <laughs> tends to mean, when we say earthy, we we usually allude to fuggles and per, and European or English hops. Where well, I mean, it just I, tastes... This is it, a it, little it, bit more, I would say, going towards resiny. It's but. a little dirty. You know, it's just, it has a little bit of this kind of... Of, of muddy flavor to it, which is is not bad mm-hmm. in this case. It's just it's it's got um, it's got some sulfurness to it. It's got a little bit of of, of mulchiness to it, sort of. It, it's just, it has this mulchiness. See, um, okay, so old old tree bark type mulch because when you if you've ever been around a hot fresh mulch pile uh, some, on a sunny yeah. day, that's gross. It doesn't smell like that. Yeah, but like old tree, yeah, like old yeah. tree bark mulch you get in a in a in a plastic bag at a gardening store. Mm-hmm. Sure, it's got that sort of like characteristic to it. So it's got. Right. So that's what I would define as, as you know definitely sort of an earthy expression of of hop. It, it like I said, a little dirty, mm-hmm. a, little, a little bit, you know, not fine tuned in a certain direction. Certainly not a fruity hop by any by any stretch of the imagination. There's no there's no citrus there. Uh, Maybe a touch at the very end, top top of your palate, right in the top of your mouth. There, there's a little sweetness that comes back in, and a little juicy. 
Well, I mean, they, they, they are a related species, right? So there's going to be some crossover. Mm-hmm. But I'm just trying to express the, the, the majority of the right. flavor. Well, the same species, actually. It's just different hybrids. Yeah. So we haven't talked about the rye at all. Can you pick out the rye? I'm having a hard time finding the rye. Rye will typically be very spicy. I mean, earthy. Well, you said you said earthy. So maybe the rye is masquerading behind the hops or something like it that. It could be because, yeah, it, it, it's not coming through as well as it ha- as other beers have you know, expressed rye and said, boom, here's rye. But it could be masquerading itself inside the spiciness of the hops. It could be, and it could be, well, I don't know. I mean, again, I am struck by an idea that it's a triple IPA at 7.3%. That doesn't make much sense to me. I mean, what accounts for what, when you call something that, I mean, you know, I, I know these are more labeling names than anything else. These are... Uh, Do you remember... The conversation that I think we had with Keith Cost, you know, the homebrew here in Pittsburgh, where to him a double IPA is hops and water. It's a very light malt profile and just showcasing the hops. Like India was. Like India, right. Where um, like a, a Three Floyds double IPA has tons of malt to it. Think Dreadnought, right? Tons of malt. Two opposite things. Uh-huh. Allentown Brewer uses triple IPA to describe the first, the hops and water. And they use double IPA to describe hops and malt. The, the triple IPA was hops and water. The double IPA was not as bitter, or was more bitter. The double IPA was more bitter than the triple IPA? Bitterer, would you say? More bitter. <laughs> bitterer. I didn't say that, jerk. Um, their double IPA was more bitter than the triple IPA, but the triple IPA showcased the hops. So Allentown was defining the triple as a hop showcase, and the double is a hops and malt bomb so that's an interesting way to look at it but see but that that like i said that kind of flies in the face of all dipas that we know that that are you know commercially marketed for the most part and some not and three floyds if it fits right if it's in line with three the three floyds perfectly the, you think dreadnought is dreadnought more, in allentown has the same idea on what a double ipa is it's nothing like the india though india would be closer to well, see, India is kind of a West Coast. India is just hops. I, I, I don't know if I if I can agree with your point here. I really don't think so because you know I get a lot. I need of to malt stop trying to be smart right now. A heck of a lot of malt in the dreadnought, and mm-hmm. I you know it's, I don't know if I can necessarily agree with that and say that that's that's a good description. I mean, when I think triple, I think you know it's, unless it's a Belgian triple, okay. which is different. Uh, I think of you know when somebody says a triple IPA, I think of one more than a double IPA. And a double IPA is generally around eight to nine percent. So, this is nine scratches ago. Maybe I kept it around too long. I don't know. I mean, maybe it was a lot hoppier when it was brand new. It, I'm just the alcohol is the thing that, that that's you know throwing me off the most. It's alcohol like a DIPA, like a, you know, or even just a strong regular IPA. I, I think you're too. Now, my my counter to that is you're too tied that. Devil Dancer from uh, Founders is archetypical uh, triple IPA. Well, I, I would if, I would come to think of a triple IPA as something along those lines. Absolutely, but, but what if because find, but, of okay. because of of the expression of what double IPA means? I, I I thought the same thing, right? That something like Devil Dancer, ridiculously strong, eighteen percent, crazy hoppy, was a triple IPA. But I'm saying that this clashes with your very idea. 
this beer right here that we're calling okay. triple IPA clashes I was, uh, with that very I idea. wasn't trying to argue against that. I was trying to help highlight well, this the is, uncertainty this is, of you know, a this triple is Peter IPA. Bookhard's, this is part of Peter Bookhard's point. Mm-hmm. Peter Bookhard for New Belgium. I think we're going to the same place, right? I was trying to highlight our confusion about triple IPA and what the different angles are. And you're just trying to tell me that the scratch beer is not a triple IPA, and I wasn't trying to argue that at all. Right. So, the scratch beer is not what I would call. I would not say looking at this beer, tasting this beer, looking at the stats of this beer, a triple IPA. I would never have said that. Well, I, I can't say that, that until I've had it fresh. I mean, that's right. like you know, it's, it, it could be too old. That, that that's like, it's like calling a brown ale an imperial an imperial stout. That's something I want to throw back at you real quick. Throw it, baby. Oh, right. You just threw out Peter Buchart, Revolution Against Styles. You're kind of... Now, you didn't say you didn't like this beer, but you're bashing the categorization of this beer. Yes. People can hear that as saying the beer's not as good as a triple IPA. People are going to hear that. So what you just said is going to be interpreted to me and to other people on the radio here that you're bashing this beer because it doesn't match that. I'm saying if you're expecting a triple IPA from this, from what you've been trained to think of a triple IPA is, you're not going There's to There's not the enough triple beer. IPAs out there to know what you've been trained. That's the side point. But Well, I think I, that since you know what double, we know what double IPAs are, we know what IPAs are, and, and if you think triple IPA, you're going to just think more. I think that's a natural progression for yeah, someone to okay. think. Yeah, okay. It could be. It could be. I'm not sure. I, 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 mean, I understand where you're coming from. I'm we're we're different now. brewers, different classifications. I don't think that idea has gotten out yet. I certainly right. don't. Sure. Uh, but I think you need to. I, I would like you to recant in saying that because I told. Many, I enjoy the, the hell out of this okay. beer. I told many brewers this week that we don't bash beers because they don't meet styles. And if we rewind a little bit, that can be heard in what you were saying a little bit. Okay, uh, then then let me clarify. And and if I if that was what was interpreted, I apologize because that is not what I mean when I say. When I said what I what I said, which I said, <laughs> understood. I meant to say that if you're expecting what I think most people if would you're commonly expecting expect de- devil from dancer, a triple IPA, right? If you, you're expecting devil dancer, this will not meet your expectations. However, as a good beer, as a really drinkable beer, as a as like we said, a rock of a beer, you know, a solid straight line of a beer as opposed to a spectrum. Mm-hmm. I think it meets the expectations very well. And it's very drinkable and very good. If you can find it, I mean, at eighteen, it's probably not going to be very findable. Yeah, it's scratch number eighteen when they're at scratch uh, twenty seven right now. Not findable. I had a hard time finding the rye, but again, I can't knock the beer because I liked the flavor of the beer. Do we have to rank? Yeah, we of have course to rank. we have to rank. I'm just asking that as a hypothetical. It's our gimmick. We got to do it. So when I say, "Do we have to rank?" It's code for ranking a lot is of going to be here. hard. Yes. yes. What I have tonight, and Greg might not be happy with what I'm saying. I have. It's your. It's your tongue, man. I have two number ones and two number twos. <laughs> I think it's kind of funny, actually. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so for me, the, no, that that's not right. You can't do that. Right. You can't do that. No. You know, we get one exception every every hundred episodes. We've each had one exception. Damn me, you damn you, Weiss. <laughs> Rank so them, okay, so the the best two beers of the night, and I'm trying to figure out the order, is either the Wirebacher India or the Carl Strauss to the nines. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So the Crossroads to the Nines was Man Candy, and the Wirebacher India was a hop showcase. No remember, more. remember, it's just a silly little ritual. It's a silly little ritual, right? But I, I can't just mail it in. I have to mean what I say. Okay, all right. So do I do I pick the man candy over the hop juice or the hop juice over the man candy? I think I'm going to pick the hop juice over the man candy. Wirebacher India is a wonderful choice. showcase of some wonderful hops. Amarillo, uh, the CTZ hops. Uh, so number two is going to be the Carl Strauss to the nines. Hard luck number two because they are both wonderful. Hard luck number two is kind of a weird saying. Yeah, yeah. And then... Uh, Three and four, again, are such a tight battle because do I take the lactose double pale ale from, from Three Floyds or do I take the triple rye IPA from from Trogues? Oh, which, that one's even a harder decision on which one was more pleasurable. It, it's, it's a photo finish. It's a dead heat. The, the rev- flip, a, flip a coin, man. Do the, something. The booth review says... Make a choice. Trogues. Trogues. I just have this intangible. Maybe it's because I drank it last. And I hate that that be the reason why. But my gut says Trogues is better than the Three Floyds. But these four beers were awesome. Yeah. Well, I think three of these beers were awesome. The fourth one gave me fits. Awesome fits? I don't even know. I don't even know how to classify it. All right. Now, very interesting that you pick the Weyerbacher India PLL first. It's also my first. Because of how just damn unique I thought it was. And how how much I just kind of really went for, for the flavor that was, uh, that was being produced by this sucker. I mean, I I just love the idea of really treating it like a hop juice, like really, you know, giving this this big alpha hop a showcase without making it this huge alpha hop, uh, ridiculous multi bomb. I really appreciated that, and it could be the beer, like you said, was very fresh. That helped, I'm sure, but it it worked. It just worked so well. So that's number one. Number two, Carl Strauss to the nines, just like you, and Man Candy. Big time man candy. A little bit of bitterness. The, the more you drink, the more the bitterness goes away. So it, it's very nice and uh, easy to, uh, to to go down. Uh, number three, the Trug Scratch Beer, which was very, very good. It's 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 really very close behind the the, the to the nines. Even though I mean the two nines was you know had the man candy stuff to it, so it had that advantage over the scratch beer. But the scratch beer just was was very solid as a like we said as a rock of a beer. It's a very mm-hmm. you know a, a laser of a beer. Uh, and then just the apocalypse cow, I just it it gave me fits. It 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 messed with my central nervous system. I don't know how else to put it. I think that people will enjoy it if they don't have a, a system that's wired up like mine, but I just couldn't get my head around it. I couldn't get my taste buds around it. Do you know, it. It, when there's a show where we rank a Three Floyds beer as last, we could be doing worse in life. <laughs> you say so. We could be doing much worse in life. That's this true. Was... That's true. So uh, thank you, everybody, for listening to what's going to be a long show. It's a minute. It's an hour and 32 minutes right now before I edit it. Which means it's going to be about 70 minutes, 75 minutes when I do edit it, uh, if not more. So I hope you enjoyed it. Hopefully it was intriguing and compelling and riveting. Uh-huh.
Um, but we're going to get off the air right now before we take up any more of your precious time. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to Craft Beer Radio. If you have questions or comments, you can email us at beer at craftbeerradio.com. Craft Beer Radio is released under the Creative Commons license. Visit craftbeerradio.com for more information. The opening and closing music is Last Hurrah from the band The Lights Out. You can listen to more of their music at their website, thelightsout.com. Some people get a longer fuse. Some people's shoulders are big enough for the abuse. But they never say what you can't hear But when they